We recently launched Liberation Martial Arts Online for trainers, collectives, and individuals that were looking for a program to follow that was chud-free or perhaps one that came directly from us. Thanks to Janela Lopez, Teddy G, and Silky for signing up. If you would like to sign up for Liberation Martial Arts Online, or you just want to increase your financial support for the Southpaw Project, you can find special tiers on our Patreon. If you'd like to listen to all of our shows without any breaks or interruptions, you can find uncut versions of our shows also on Patreon. This is Sam. And this is Fight Study. This episode was produced by SH, New Guy, and M. Shelton. Today, we have a very special edition of Fight Study, an international fight study. Rather than just me and Jason digging into the weeds of MMA, it's me, and I've brought two MMA and politically opinionated guests to talk to us about UFC 278, Maurice Shelton and Justin Poder. It's an international all-BIPOC anti-imperial podcast. Maurice has been on the podcast before on Fight Study episode 102. I'll put a link on the show notes. But for people who didn't hear that episode or need a reminder, Maurice, can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? All right. Sam, thank you for having me again. Uh, my name is Maurice Shelton. Um, I am originally from Atlanta, Georgia, United States of America, uh, currently in the Kanto area near Tokyo, uh, former, I guess you could say semi-retired uh, mixed martial artist. Um, I'm also a coach, uh, fitness trainer, teacher, educator, activist, all of the above. Uh, somebody who will slap you if uh, you talk out of line. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm known for doing that, but I'm also a nice guy. I'm also an MC and an announcer. And uh, uh, I guess you could say I'm a fighter, just overall a fighter with a, a big heart. So thank you again, everyone. And Justin, can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and some of your work and also how you got interested in MMA? Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, so I'm Justin Podor. Uh, I am the host of a podcast too, uh, the Anti-Empire Project. Um, and we have a pretty big series on modern history called the Civilization Series, where we went over uh, the Haitian Revolution, the French Revolution, the scramble for Africa. We're headed into World War One now. So if you want to catch up on all your historical studies uh, from an anti-imperialist perspective, uh, I'd highly recommend checking that out. Uh, I'm also a professor in Toronto at York University. Um, and as far as martial arts go, I'm from, my background is from Kerala, India. So uh, when I turned around 20 years old, I I found a place that teaches uh, Kaladi Payet, which is the martial art of Kerala, which is lots of weapons, a little bit of unarmed uh, work. Uh, I did some Taekwondo, some Judo, uh, and then uh, for the past, I guess, 10, 12 years, I'd been doing uh, Jeet Kune Do. I took a wrestling class at the local MMA gym. I maintained a solid white belt status in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, but uh, I do um, roll with 
um, you know, roll with some better qualified people from time to time. So I, I'm familiar with the with the rule set and and the move set uh, of in uh, grappling as well. So um, yeah, uh, hang around gyms. I have no no meaningful qualifications in <laughs> any of the MMA related arts, but it's uh, always been something. Uh, that I like to do and I like to study and I, I study partly to make myself a better MMA fan <laughs> as opposed to the other way around. <laughs> Is this your so. first time being on a podcast to discuss MMA? Uh, I guess you could say it's it. I, I did a halfway something like this with uh, on Sina Rahmani's uh, The East is a podcast some time ago. We were talking about the politics and the history of uh, martial arts, all in the context of uh, the Habib Connor uh, rivalry. So it was sort of like we went into the history of Sambo and you know martial arts and boxing and all of the emergence of all these cultures in the 19th century and the context of imperialism and nationalism and how this how the UFC is is also like a ground for the these kind of national rivalries to play out. Maurice, did you have something? Yeah, I was I was about to about to mention um uh Fighting for Honor for by by uh, TJ Desh Obi. Uh it's a a book about uh basically like the origins of capoeira and like uh, it's it's related to uh the fighting systems that came out of Africa that kind of uh, spread and it's they're related to like uh revolutionary movements, you know, in Haiti and other places. Yeah, something to talk about later, but yeah. Capoeira is super interesting because it's uh, based on hiding, right? You're hiding the fact that you're even doing martial arts behind, oh, uh, we're, just, we're just singing and dancing, nothing to see here. Uh, meanwhile, you're training. And I wanted to shout out one more thing. I'm a podcast host as well. Hey, hey, hey. Bury, bury the yeah. lead, Maurice. Yeah. You're burying the lead. It's an here. all podcaster podcast as well. You didn't tell I me forgot. that. Okay. We, yeah, we were on we were on hiatus, so I I forgot to mention. But this is not information. It's a podcast about um just about anything that you can name, but mainly about uh people of color, black people in Japan, um, current events, uh news that affect uh, you know all generations of people. So if you can check it out, it's in all of the platforms that you can find your podcast. But let's get into the first fight, the welterweight title fight between pound for pound King Kamaru Usman versus Leon Rocky Edwards, where Rocky pulled the Rocky and took the title away <laughs> from Usman by fifth round KO with less than a minute left. Rocky also took Usman's perfect takedown defense record. Usman has now given up one takedown and that was to Rocky. <laughs> He's only lost once in the UFC, and that was to Rocky. Only been knocked out once, also to Rocky. One more interesting fact, Rocky only threw one head kick the whole fight, the one that put <laughs> Usman away. Oh, yes. So, Maurice, give me your impressions of this fight. So, um, I'm not going to lie to you all. Um, I, I imagine the fight going the way that it went from round two until the beginning of round <laughs> same, five. Same, same, um, same Because same. what I saw from Leon Edwards was improvement, but I didn't think that it would be quite enough to put him over the top. So I think um, 
Kamaro executed his game plan, but he made maybe about three or four crucial errors. And then he also got away with bending the rules a few times, which, you know, uh, champions are want to do. Um, <laughs> he, he had some home cooking because he he was close <laughs> to breaking Anderson Silva's uh, 16 fight win streak record in the UFC. But uh, it just wasn't in the cards for him. Everybody loses. So I think um, hubris was the the number one uh, factor in this fight, because I thought. Um, Kamaru, uh, he waded in far too comfortably, um, in some of the striking exchanges because Leon did actually let him come in and, uh, do what he was going to do. He, he ripped to the body and then he shoots in for the clinch and then he gets a takedown or he, he bullies against the cage like he, like he's been doing everybody else. And then he has good enough boxing. I'm talking about Kamaru now where he can keep you honest uh, and keep you guessing about uh, where the proper distance is going to be for you to get off the strike. The one thing that I saw, um, and I don't know if uh, Daniel Cormier uh, had a flashback, but wrestlers, if you're listening, any of my grapplers out there, <laughs> please take it from a striker. You know, I, I, I'm not a wrestler. My back is jacked up. <laughs> but I always tell people whenever I coach them, Man, do not lean your head like that. Do not if you if you're going to parry a, a punch, do not lean your head forward because you think that oh I'm I'm gonna just take this guy I'm gonna go single leg and then I'm gonna go shoot in for a double because you know I'm the man on the mat. No man, you can get kicked in the face, man. Like it's just <laughs> like uh, I I if I were his coach, if I were Leon's coach, um, I was telling my friends this in in a group chat. I would still be upset with him because he did not execute his game plan. He he definitely improved his wrestling because you saw in the first round he took took him down, which was not expected. But it <laughs> that was, was unbelievable. It was that like was I, I I stood up. I was like, hey, what, what's going on here? What's going? I was like, hey, not only takedown, takedown to mount. Yeah, I was like, hey, are we at like a you know <laughs> yeah this is like a, a a masterful wrestler and he was doing like you know the body lock takedown from like gracie gracie combatives you know? yeah man i'm like this looked like a grappler's quest <laughs> what, tournament from like 1998 is, or something man like how you, on here? it went yeah. as expected except for the fact that the mistakes that kamaro has made in the past because colby has stung him um gilbert has stung him couple other people have stung him in the past, but he always recovered enough because he's in fantastic condition. Leon capitalized. And then also you're talking about a war of attrition. You know, we were talking about it before off uh, on in the chat uh, during the fights. You know, we're at elevation, even though you're tra training at elevation, um, you cannot underestimate laying on somebody, a grown, a grown ass man, 200 pounds for 20, 23 minutes. And then, you know, uh, that your body's going to be in the same exact condition as it was when you first started fighting, you know? So the head kick was perfect. I watched it. I don't know how many times. Um, it's exactly what I would teach any of my, my, my younger students, any of my older students, anybody that wants to learn how to do self-defense. I'm like, Hey, he put his hand in, 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 in the right position perfectly. He blocked the hand and then, Hey, guess what? I got a shin for you, baby. You know, and sorry for Kamaru's family because, you know, he's um, everything that I would want in a fighter. That's what Kamaru is um, in terms of like the grit and the 
the mindset. Um, but he just made a mistake. And, you know, he said it himself, even champs make mistakes. You know, if he comes back, I, I, the first thing that I saw, uh, I said, uh, in my mind, and then I tweeted out as soon as I head kick lands, it's trilogy time. There's no, there's no, (laughs) there's no other way that we can conclude this story. It doesn't end there, you know, um, unless there's an injury or some type of other tragedy, but you got to book the fight. Um, because it went exactly like we thought it would go is, until the head kick happened. Justin, did that knockout surprise you? Yes, absolutely. Um, so, you know, we've seen uh, Usman get knocked down, right? The burns. I was stunned even when I saw that. So my experience watching Usman fights was like I started with the Woodley fight. Uh, the night that he won the title. That was the first time I actually saw Usman fight. And then I went back and watched many more of them. But that night, like my my wrestling coach had talked uh, about Woodley. You know, he was like, Woodley is such a strong wrestler that he controls where the fight goes and everything like that. So to, when I just turned it on and saw Usman just treat Woodley like a complete ragdoll, right? I mean, it was just a complete, he made Woodley look like, a complete amateur you just controlled him and it was all wrestling so it was like this is what he does to another wrestler um so to see uh to see leon edwards take him down <laughs> to see leon edwards uh you know who's who's learned it late in life and they were the, the commentators were saying things like that right they were saying things like um you know you don't you can't produce a d2 wrestler or a D1 wrestler. <laughs> they right? were burying yeah. him in the commentary as yeah. soon as the fight started oh, yeah yeah, yeah. And, and then he just so i was completely shocked by the takedown i was shocked um but then i was like oh okay usman's recovered so just like maurice rounds two three and four went exactly it was like usman had figured it out right and usman is uh there are a lot of fighters that are like this i find um they don't necessarily do that well in the first round. They just they just take a little while to figure out who they're fighting and what's coming and how it and kind of calibrate. And Usman's one of them. I think George St. Pierre was one of them. Like in boxing, uh, there was that guy, the Welsh guy. You know that Welsh guy that never lost. Calzaghe. Uh, he didn't hit that hard. Yeah, Calzaghe. Exactly. <laughs> he doesn't yeah, that hit guy. that hard. <laughs> yeah. No, he doesn't. Right. That. He hits you many, 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 many times, right? Yeah. <laughs> Kalzage hits you many, many, many times, and you can't seem to hit him. But he's Joe Slappy. <laughs> he's not a big knockout artist, right? And the angles are anyway. So he's a guy who never, like, he often loses the first round, and and so I was like, okay, fine, I get it. Usman, you know, Usman was Usman took a while to figure it out, but then this, then this head kick, and it's like, there's one thing that I did notice about Usman, and I never wanted to say it. <laughs> in the Burns fight, I noticed it in the in the um in the Masvidal fights. Um his he-, he moves his head a lot and it's kind of in a flinchy way. Like he kind of moves his head in this kind of flinchy way. His head goes way down and it's like he he's not even really looking at his opponent. Like an overreaction. Yeah, which is all stuff, you know, you're taught not to do. And I'm like, hasn't anybody told this guy you know like you're the champion hasn't anyone told you not to do that but so he he kind of had this head movement and i just had this thing i was like i don't know i guess it doesn't matter i guess there's nobody that's able to take advantage of it Mm. and and that was (laughs) and that was what i saw like that this is why head movement is better in boxing than in mma right is because like you get your head down there and uh someone will kick it uh which is not 
which it's it's harder to get dig down for an uppercut right in boxing but like the kicks right there the knees right there and so i ultimately i think it was it was leon it was a great move by leon for sure but it was also like a real like usman really did kind of hand it to him with that head movement the other thing i found the other thing that you know the weasel said and you guys probably listened to the weasel uh, he's like an analyst, a YouTube kind of MMA analyst, but he was saying like Usman never goes for submissions when he has your back. Like he's just he just doesn't he doesn't care about jujitsu. Like he just does wrestling. So he was on Leon's back a lot in you know rounds two and three, and and Leon can just get up. He doesn't need to worry. He just gives up his back and gets up because Usman's not going to choke him. He's not going to get a rear naked choke. He just he's not going to put the hooks in. He just doesn't go for that. Rogan doesn't seem to know that. Yeah, yeah. So, and they get there's a there's a whole thing where they give, I guess, they give wrestlers who are really good black belts in jujitsu, even if they don't go through the whole program because they don't want to have jujitsu people lose to people without jujitsu <laughs> credentials. <laughs> so, I don't think Usman really like cares or you know does those kinds of moves, but it would it would behoove him, I think, to to. We have some surprises for Edwards if when going into the next, uh, you know, there are things, there are things I think he could work on that would, that would surprise Edwards in the rematch. What did you think of the coaching by the Edwards corner for this fight? <laughs> well, I think, uh, you know, as a teacher myself, um, I think the key is the kind of person that you have. So if you have a student that's really cool you know, which is what Edwards is. I think Edwards was really cool and really calm and emotionally really like unflappable to the point where the coach had to scream at him <laughs> to snap him out of it. Cause I think, ah. I, th- I think Edwards was sort of like, okay, you know, here I am, everything's cool and I'm probably going to lose. And he just <laughs> seemed too easy going about it. And so I felt like, yeah, this is what the coach needed to do. He needed to kind of snap him out of it and say, like, cut it out. Stop being so easygoing. And, you know, if you had a, if you had someone who was panicky, if you had someone who was afraid or worried, that approach wouldn't necessarily work, right? That approach would actually freak them out even more or make them, you know, turn off even more. But it's clear that the coach knew who was in front of him. I just, you know, I, when you, when you showed me that clip, uh, and I immediately thought of Greg Jackson and you were saying, I think you <laughs> tweeted it as like, so Greg Jackson, so, um, yeah, George St. Pierre is fighting, uh, I think it was Johnny Hendricks. Um, he pulled his groin. So he really hurt himself, uh, I guess, fairly early in the fight. And he comes comes to his corner and he says, he says, I think I pulled my groin. And then his coach, uh, Greg Jackson, says, I don't care, George. I don't care. This is where champions are made. Hit him with your groin. Do you understand <laughs> my mentality? <laughs> <laughs> so that's obviously but see for me that was what george needed to hear too like he if 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 jackson had said oh poor george do you want to give up right george might have given up he might have just been, he he didn't want to give him that out he wanted to be like listen like you know this is not a time to be complaining about your groin you will fix your groin later so i thought i i guess the the answer then to your question is it seems to have been exactly what leon needed Maurice, as a coach, what did you think about that cornering? Um, I think <clears throat> the sense of urgency was there. 
um, because obviously he dropped he dropped the the middle three rounds until the stoppage. Uh, you know, the clips are going, you know, they've been viral. You know, the guy, he was saying, you know, <laughs> stop, stop feeling sorry for yourself. So it's, it's one of those things where you can feel it. You can feel it. I've been on both sides where, you know, my guy was the, the heavy favorite and, you know, we're going in like, yeah, we're going to smash this guy and it's, it's no problem. You just go in there and do what you know you've done thousands of times before you can execute. And then I've been on the other side. I was like, yo, um, you're going to have to pull something out of nowhere, man, because I don't know <laughs> how how in the heck you're going to do this. So um, I think that, um, like Justin was saying, uh, you you never underestimate the the power of the relationship that a coach has with uh, their fighter. I think that if you do have an intimate knowledge of the, the tendencies and, you know, the mindset of your fighter, you can tap in. Now, I saw this clip one time. Uh, it's some real, I think, and 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 it's, it resonated with me because uh, it was talking about like children who who are good athletes. You know, uh, you can you can put your child in like a, a dojo or uh, some gym, and you can have one of the best coaches ever or whatever. But the parent, as as a as your as a parent, you're the fo- first teacher of your child, so you know things about your child. You know what buttons to press that the coach that only spends maybe two or three hours a week with your child does not necessarily know unless they're very, they have to be very astute, and very observant, you know? So the best coaches, the upper echelon of, of, of those coaches, whether you're talking about boxing, kickboxing or MMA or any other combat sport, any sport really is uh, they have an innate ability or they have an uncanny ability to tap into those, those fears and those pain points of those fighters uh, that they've observed during the training camp or in the run-up to to the competition, and I think that Leon uh, Leon's uh, corner they they definitely they said something that triggered him because uh, you know everybody's dragging Dean Thomas and it's like, dude, Dean Thomas knows what he's talking about because I think <laughs> he had a flashback of Tyron Woodley's fight against Usman <laughs> where uh, he was deflated. He <laughs> lost that fight. He was like, yeah. how you gonna let him do that to you, man? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it was like, you can see it in his face. He was like, yeah, like, he got me, man. He beat me. And like, his mom in the back, I don't know if y'all watched the aftermath, like, the mom, uh, yeah. Woodley's mother is like, yeah, baby, it's okay. Like, don't be sad that you beat my son. Like, you know, like, you owe, like he owes something to you. But it was like, dude, psychologically, he was beaten. And it, it, there's no way that you can say otherwise. And Leon was giving, he was starting to give off that that vibe. Now, you can, you can go back and be a Monday, uh, Monday morning quarterback and say, oh, this, it's not in him. Yeah, because we know as coaches, he has that dog in him. So I knew that he had something left. If it didn't work, then you can always say, hey, at least you gave it your all. And, and that's, he, he saved up the head kick, you know, because, he, yeah, you're right. Because I, I was yelling <laughs> at people. I'm like, hey, the head kick is there. For wrestlers, I tell, I tell all the guys that I, I work with that are grappler heavy, I'm like, dude, if you go against somebody that actually knows Muay Thai or like, you know, some re- they have some really good stand up, really good kickboxing. You got to be careful of the head kick because that's the equalizer, man. That's like that's like uh, the, the Patriots going against the Falcons, you know, 28 <laughs> three. You know, somebody said I think it was or the guy off the MMA, like uh, I forget. But it's like, yeah, you're down 28 three and then you get a Hail Mary play and it, it gives you 30 points, you know. That's exactly what a head kick is or, or, you know, a Hail Mary punch. You know, that's what this sport gives you because it's never over. 
until it's over, until that last uh, siren or bell goes off. So I think um, the coaches understand that. They know that Leon has the ability. He's good in every in every facet of the game. He's not spectacular. He's not a spectacular grappler. He's not a spect- you know, he's he's an exciting striker. He knows how to pick you apart at distance and he knows how to mix up uh the takedown threat. He knows how to mix up, you know, uh, the clinch. But uh he's not nobody was going in saying, "Oh, like Leon Edwards going to knock uh, Kamaru Usman's <laughs> head off." Nobody was saying that. And anybody that does, please show me the records. Show me the receipts because <laughs> I didn't say that. If anybody was saying that, please tell me cuz I'll call you, you know, the new Nostradamus, you know? I just find Leon so Leon Edwards so methodical, you know? It's just so it's so it's it's he's such a good student. Like and what he does is MMA. Like it's really he's not he's not bi- I mean he's I guess a little bit biased towards uh striking, but really even even you know evenly well-rounded MMA, you know, just just across the board and it was interesting because i i kind of think of usman that way um you know the the thing that struck me about usman is just uh, you know the grappling advantage seems to be a strength advantage like it's just a such an incredibly strong uh man you know and so it's clear like when people try to grapple him uh, there's just this this feeling with it you know it looked looked like that with woodley like woodley just looked like what the hell what the hell is happening here you know because they're both equally sized uh you know and woodley has a whole background of of wrestling very successfully but that just didn't work so um but but what i found with edwards is just th- this well-balanced methodical uh work and you know something something came through uh, like I don't think it was I don't think it was a fluke exactly, right? I think in the run up to the trilogy, I think cuz I, I think you 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 might have some people saying that it was a fluke knockout or that uh it wasn't set up. Um but I think definitely, you know, I, and I know other fighters are saying this, you're never the same after a knockout like that. So I know it's going to be in the back of Kamaru's head like going into the third uh match that he has to be careful of ducking his head down because yeah, like you said, um, he, uh, Kamaru is a, he's an awesome grappler, you know, like uh, from all accounts from behind the scenes, it's like, yeah, he's a strong dude. That's why people are, nobody's really laughing at him when he says I will skip, you know, middleweight and try to challenge for light heavyweight, you know, because he's that strong, you know, physically. And he walks around probably around a good two two ten, So it, it would be no problem for him to challenge somebody like a Blakoyevich or some of the top 10 guys in that division. Um, so I think, uh, like uh, Justin had mentioned before, um, you definitely got to you gotta work on a couple of things to give uh, Leon a different look because he can get the takedown. He's proven that. Like, he'll get the takedown. <laughs> yeah. uh, come hell or high water, like, even in the third match, even with the threat of being kicked in his head again, I think he can get the takedown at will again. But once you get there, the ground and pound and like the lay and pray and, and sort of the mauling style that he has, uh, it might not work as much because like you said, uh, Justin, like Leon, you know, he was getting up. He's not threatened by like him taking his back and, 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 and maybe choking him out rear naked or, or doing some other type of submission attempt. So we'll see. Um, I, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be exciting to run up to the next match. Two things I want to draw people's attention to. First is that before the actual KO, Rocky caught Usman with a hard 
liver kick, the kind Brandon Moreno caught Kaikar France with, or Anderson Silva on Daniel Cormier, where the toes dig in. It was not a low blow, in my opinion. So that was a moment Rocky could have capitalized on, but the ref took that moment away. But then again, if he tried to swarm him right then, Usman could have wrestled him. Yeah, just take him down. That shot was now on Usman's mind because it hurt. So when that high kick did come, Usman isn't just slipping the punch. You look at his positioning. He was also bracing for and sweeping away a body to low kick. You see his hand like sweeping away. And prior to that kick, he was sweeping away other kicks because Leon didn't show the high kick yet. So all of that left his head exposed. And even then, Leon had to charge up that head kick like a video game character for five rounds (laughs) to take Usman out. That's how hard you got to hit Usman. Sorry, Usman did contribute because he was moving his head into it. Exactly. The second thing I want to bring up is something I've brought up a lot on this show, that if you're an orthodox fighter, because of the way your feet are lined up, it's natural to evade to your right. We saw Kai Car France do this. We saw Dom Cruz do this. And now Usman did the same thing, all against left kicks. I also think it was not only sportsmanly, but smart for Rocky Edwards to walk away after the head kick because sometimes fighters wake back up after you start hitting them again and you don't want to wake Usman up because then it's like, <laughs> oh, you were almost there. And then Usman survives, gets a takedown, and then it's going to go to the judges' scorecard. So that's how close it was from Usman winning this fight. And that's what makes the trilogy fight that much more interesting. But just like with the liver kick, that kick to the head is going to be on Usman's mind. Oh, can I just say one more thing? The The whole swatting low kicks away is another thing Usman does that I hope he, you know, doesn't do. <laughs> I hope he stops. <laughs> I hope he stops doing that because that's another that's another thing I I, I I've always seen him do where I'm like he he's kind of overreacting to some of these uh, things. You know, it's not it's not classic defensive uh, behavior where you're either blocking with your your elbows or you know um, shelling up or, or or obviously checking. A note to our loyal listeners: if you love the Southpaw Project. Please support us and help us get paid for our labor by financially supporting us on Patreon. This will give you access to exclusive bonus content like early releases of Southpaw Deep Space Nine, break-free versions of our shows without interruptions like you're hearing now, Liberation Martial Arts Online, as well as our private chat group on Discord. You can also make one-time donations at Ko-Fi or show your Southpaw solidarity by wearing our swag. You can find all pertinent links at southpawpod.com. Next, let's talk about Paulo Costa versus Luke Rockhold, where Costa won a lopsided decision. You had two cringe fighters having a very cringe and bizarre fight. From initial reports, <laughs> Luke Rockhold made 200K for his farewell fight. Previously, Dominic Cruz only made 175K for his main event fight against Marlon Vera. 14 fighters on this card made 20,000 or less. And this is a pay-per-view card. Maurice, I know this is something you want to talk about as far as payouts, unions, internal UFC politics, retirement, life after fighting. What are your thoughts on this fight and everything I've mentioned? (sighs) There's a lot here. There's a lot here and it makes it just makes my body hurt like thinking about 
the uphill struggle that uh, all of these people are going to have to go through. Because um, I think um, you're right. Cringe, 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 cringe. Um, I won't get into like the, the stuff that I personally know about some of these fighters like are like, you know, I'm not going to get into the gossip, but, you know, just what they've said on uh, camera and on mic, you know, um, it's um, it's unfortunate that for me as an aging fighter, I'm an old guy, you know, by fighter standards and seeing Rocco go out there and and give a good effort. You know, you could see that his uh, skill set has not really it's not completely cratered. You know, he still has something left in the tank. Um, but in the run up to it, you know, um, seeing him call out certain fighters. <laughs> you know, in, in, in certain ways, you know, he was he was engaging in like kind of like some dog whistle type talk and and some dude bro chuddy talk. And but at the same time, it's like, yo, he's he's out of line. It's like that meme with uh, uh, Anthony Mackey. He's like, he's out of line, but he, he's right. You know, like he's talking about the fact that, you know, Uncle Dana is like, he, you know, by the very nature of this industry, you know, you have people that are, you know, paid to knock each other senseless and, and hurt each other. So why would they want to unionize? Why would they want to unite for a common goal when they're all trying to fight each other, right? Um, I think uh, the pay, I mean, it's laughable. It's, 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 it's completely laughable. And, and to see the, the legions of people on um, message boards and on social media defending the fact that, uh, for example, like Leon Edwards is getting 50K for that performance, like the performance of the night. Like, are you serious? And like Luke Rockhold has a point, like, you know, since like two, I forget the, the, the actual, like since 2005, 2006, you, you've been handing out the same amount of bonuses, you know, and we've been going through one of the worst recessions uh, since the bubble um, popped in 2008, the housing crisis. So what are we doing here? You know, you get 16% of the revenue. What are we doing? Like, what are y'all talking about when you say <laughs> it's okay that, ele- you know, and I, and again, Dominic Cruz, also cringy from San Diego. He has a lot of stuff that he said in the past. It was like, yeah, but he's a good fighter. He's a great yes. fighter, one of the best of all time, and, and, and it's unarguable. There's no reason why he should be getting his face broken like that for, for that amount of money. For all the time and energy that he's put into the into the sport, there's no reason. Um, Rockhold pointed out, yeah, uh, they don't get their health care taken care of. You got people that are addicted uh, or, you know, they're abusing uh, pain medications because they don't have proper and comprehensive uh, health care coverage, uh, especially in the Americas. Um, you have people that are dealing with chronic injuries and still going into fight and then turning in uh, performances that are just completely lackluster. And, and I know this just from my own experience, seeing other fighters go in with like replaced hips or like you know, torn labrums, you know, detached retinas, you know, I mean, my, Michael Bisping, man, come on. Like Michael <laughs> Bisping is like legally blind. man. Oh He's God. legally blind. And like, we're, we're, that's criminal. He has a fake eye. He has a fake eye. Half his eye. And we, we talk about it. Like, it's just like par for the course. And we have people that are defending, uh, Dana White and, um, the ownership group for not paying these people for put like literally putting their lives and their bodies on the line. Um, the fight, uh, with Rockhold though. I mean, obviously he said it himself, he's got, he's gotten old. Costa put on the pressure. Um, you saw in the first exchange, once Costa got the takedown and how, uh, Luke's face looks 
once he popped back up, his nose was broken and he couldn't breathe out the nose. And that was pretty much it for his gas tank. And again, as someone who's been in there and has like gassed out and has been, you know, the old man, like training against young whippersnappers that might be on secret juice um, is not fun. So I, I give my kudos to Luke for sticking uh, sticking it out all the way through to the end. Um, but, you know, the game plan was kind of, you know, the, the saying goes, you know, you have everybody has a plan until they get hit. Right. Um, and I think that's what happened here because he was doing a lot of like high altitude, uh, you know, spinning, uh, you know, high energy uh, movements that kind of depleted his gas tank even further without uh, pumping his jab methodically and, and, and picking his shots. But, you know, again, when you got somebody like the eraser in front of you, you know, on secret juice, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's really hard to kind of execute. Yeah. For people who don't know what the joke is, he had a piece of paper that was taped onto his water bottle that said secret juice. Something that hurts my heart is that we've come, we've come a long way from like someone like a Senator McCain talking about this is human cockfighting to people openly mocking the fact that um, you have an organization like USADA, which is off, you know, it's, it's undemocratic, it's, it's fascist, but, you know, it, it's one of those things that we look at as a necessary evil to kind of keep the, the, the semblance of a level playing field. But we all know Dana has his people, his preferred fighters, you know, and then there's a, there's a, a whole underclass of fighters that are just trying to fight to just get into the UFC, you know, just to make it into the UFC to get 10, 10 to show and 10 to, 10 to win, you know? And then they, they probably only take home maybe about six or $7,000 for like, uh, you know, three or four months worth of work. Um, there's still so many inequities that we need to in address besides like performance enhancing uh, drugs that we just, we, we joke about this secret juice and we kind of like just bypass all the other stuff that really needs to be addressed, like a union, you know. And it sucks that Rockhold is at the end of his career to really talk his shit because he's been talking a lot of stuff lately, like over the past couple of years. But like, why can't the champions do that? You know, he he had called out Adesanya and and Ngannou and uh, I think Usman as well. You know, he's saying making fun of like them being African brothers or something like that. But it's like, dude, like we don't give the same uh, scrutiny to, uh, these, uh, people that are the rank and foul to like, just say, Hey, you got to stand up and fight sometimes like against your oppressor, like the people that that's handing you, handing you the, you know, the scraps from the table and then patting you on the back and saying, you did a good job while you lose like maybe 10 or 15 years off of your life, you know, putting on a show. Um, I think it's, it really sucks, man, because I, I understand what they go through, but then when they actually get on mic, I remember that like a lot of these guys are not paid to be public speakers or to be the representatives of like workers around the world. And it's not fair to them, but they get put in that position anyway. So I'm like, man, I wish I could like, I wish I could pull somebody aside and be like, yo, like you need some political education, man. Because I, I was listening to uh, Demetrius Johnson. I mean, uh. <laughs> I, I was I was telling a colleague of ours, you know, a comrade of ours uh, early. I'm like, I try to put on my blinders to the greats because I don't want to hear. I don't want to know that Anderson Silva is like a Bolsonaro supporter. I don't want to know that Jose 
Aldo Jr. is, you know, a fascist. I don't want to know. Please don't tell me because, you know, I grew up watching these people. I, you know, I came up in the game watching and emulating these people. Um, Mark Coleman, uh, <laughs> any, any of the, any of the, the, the UFC champions before like UFC, like 40, I mean, they're probably <laughs> pretty dyed in the wool chuds and I don't want to know, you know, same with pride. I'm in Japan. Most of these guys, if you got, if you got a cauliflower ear and you, you got a black belt in either judo or like Brazilian jiu-jitsu, you probably don't care about like, you know, disabled people or, or uh, LGBTQ people or uh, foreigners. Like, I just don't want to know. Don't tell me, like, because there's too many of them, man. Like, just let me have something. So it sucks that Rocco, he comes out as like kind of like a, uh, a labor champion. But at the same time, he's still saying certain things. It's like, dude, I, you're saying this because you're kind of being a petty bitch. I don't know. <laughs> Justin, politics and organizing is your lane. What are your thoughts <laughs> on some of the things that Maurice has brought up and UFC pay and this fight? Well, I think there is a history of including like very low key reprisals by the administration against uh, the more collectively minded fighters. I I gather George St. Pierre tried to organize a union. Uh, I remember that at the time. Uh, I I think Nganu has been in uh, Dana's bad books for uh, insisting on uh, getting paid properly as the baddest man on the planet (laughs) and so on uh so yeah i mean i think it's a struggle i think it's a struggle it's ongoing um and you know you're right that the you know the martial arts um uh having their origins being what they are right like like the japanese martial arts coming from you know imperialist <laughs> you know japan like J- imperialist japan's 19th century awake Jap- uh national awakening is when all these martial arts were designed judo aikido uh karate as we know it right and and like all these uh, bo- us boxings from the same period wrestling is from the 19th century uh, all of these martial arts come from these like very from the peak of global uh anglo imperialism and white supremacy so you know, it's going to have that stink, just like every, <laughs> just like everything else. Um, you know, Brazil, you've, you've talked about this, I'm sure on your podcast, like the, the Brazilian jiu-jitsu is basically like a cop martial art. Like it's the, it's the martial art of the Brazilian uh, dictators police, right? I mean, that's, that's what it's the like, even though you can kind of tell, like it's designed to hold somebody down when you have all the time in the world, you don't have to get away because you're the law, right? You put them down, you control them. You're the friends that are joining are your friends. So it's, uh, it's not like a martial art, um, where you got to get on your feet and get out of there, right? It's the martial art where you can safely hold someone down for as long as it takes, uh, you know, to, to get them to comply. So I, I think of it as like, you know, it is what it is, right? We, we've got to figure out, uh, how to make, how to make of it what we need, <laughs> you know, the human, the human, uh, instinct to fight, uh, and use our limbs and our bodies to, to, control and defeat other people is is uh never gonna go away and it it doesn't i don't think it has a political bias you know it it can be used in any which way um so yeah you know the struggles um the struggles are there and and there'll be and they're they'll never stop you know they'll never stop and uh and i do think that 
I do think that the trajectory will be, you know, at some point fighters will fighters will create some kind of collective and people will go and and join them and that'll force the UFC to pay better just to not lose uh you know eyes and audiences to those people it's it's waiting for it's waiting for either a big enough group or a few big enough names to to do that i i also think you know habib you know just just doing his own promotion like realizing that he has that I'm sure there were interesting <laughs> negotiations uh, to try to get him to not do that, um, you know, behind the scenes. So, yeah, this is definitely a thing to watch. Uh, I don't think it's all bad news. It's a lot of bad news. When I think of, <laughs> I think uh, when I think of like what those undercard fighters go through, it is absolutely like heart rending. You know, um, it's de- it's totally devastating. Um, now just about the fight like the whole uh, i you know i i know a little bit about rockhold and the whole thing about oh he went out like a lion and he you know he was so great what a great way to go out no it wasn't it absolutely wasn't he he spent a lot of time like literally turning his back and walking away from costa which is like that's not something you're supposed to do um that yeah, for whether you're taking it as an entertainment thing or you know as a orthodoxy of fighting uh doctrine thing to do um and then and the other thing that he did that i thought was really nasty was like the the putting his blood all over his face like that you're not supposed to do that like cringe i don't know i i didn't like i didn't like the way he went out i didn't like the things he was saying uh in the ring i didn't like the things that he said after i don't think he's an example for anybody um so I, I just, yeah, neither is Costa. So yeah, I think, I, I think your, I think your summary of it is, is, is right. Even Adis, what Adesanya did to Costa was also very wrong. It's hard not to, it's hard not to, you know, take some kind of super guilty, you know, pleasure <laughs> in terms of the comeuppance or whatever. But that was also wrong. And you know, were you at any point afraid for Rockhold's life? <laughs> no because it was clear he was gonna run away if he had to run away i would the, the worst thing that would have happened would he but he would have like gone over the cage and left i left thought he the, might get a heart left attack the building oh really no no maurice what did you think because he looks so <laughs> tired and they were in altitude and he's getting hit were you just like this dude might just fall over from exhaustion or something yeah, I mean, it, it, that was that crossed my mind, but I was like, you know, I think he has a pedigree long enough to to save him from that. If he were going to collapse, uh, he he was just going to go out on the shield because, yeah, like I mean, like Kimbo Slice, da uh, da three thousand, you know, like yeah, that could have happened if they were like heavyweights, and we knew that Rocco wasn't like uh, he was. I mean, he was training, you know, again. Like you said, cringe, cringe master saying a bunch of stuff <laughs> that just, you know, I'm like, I can't, tra- I couldn't train in the same place with you, man. If you know, <laughs> like this. no, uh, but, um, but I know that you're in good shape. Okay. You're a strong chuddy kind of bro. So like <laughs> your heart won't explode. But yeah, that those, especially Costa's physique. Um, I gotta say I'm suspicious of in terms of. Secret juice, man. <laughs> Natural <laughs> naturalness of that um, of that physique. Next, let's talk about Jose Aldo versus Merab Devalishvili. 
where Devalishvili won by decision. Maurice, how much did altitude play a factor in this fight? Well, Marab is known. I mean, his his nickname is the machine. Like he has good cardio, so I think it didn't really affect him and his game plan. I think in terms of the, ex- of the explosiveness that we once saw with uh with Aldo, just wasn't there because uh, he did defend. I don't know how many takedowns, like sixteen or seventeen takedowns, you know, um, which is amazing in itself because you know Marab was going to come. You know, he, he was definitely coming for the takedown and he didn't quite get it. But um, Aldo was supposed to keep him honest with those heavy uh, uh, leg kicks, which he didn't he didn't he didn't pop it at all. Um, so I think the altitude has something to do with Aldo pulling the trigger. Also, father time, because, again, uh, like we've seen with uh, Rockhold, uh, you saw with Cruz before in the car before. Um, the skill set is still there. Like you can see, he still has something in the tank, but it's, it's the party's not popping like it used to, man. Um, <laughs> it's just not it's not jumping like it used to, man. Like you know, this is not WEC uh, Junior here. You know, it's, yeah. It's, uh, this is a uh, old man Jose who has been through some wars, has been through some stuff. So you know, p- uh, plotting forward and and trying to make someone pay with the leg that the heavy leg. Uh, Low kick, um, it just didn't work. Uh, so I think uh, we saw what we saw. Uh, Marab controlled the pace. He had he put a lot of pressure on on Jose. Um, he wasn't really able to get string things together. So um, I think it was less the altitude, but more of the odometer. You know, there's mouse. You know, he's been uh, that's his 39th fight, and you know. A lot of people they people look at the record and say, "Oh, he's been he's had like forty pro fights." You know, it's so many miles on the on the odometer. It's like no, like actually, for every fight you got to put in, you got to factor in how much time did he prepare in the gym with like killers, you know? Because uh, any fighter will tell you, like the the training camp is what in the, in the weight cut and the dieting and all that. You know, he he had mentioned himself and five rounds. He mostly fought five rounds. Exactly. Yeah. So you know, you're training for five rounds. So guess what you're doing? Inspiring. You know. So that wears you down. Anything. You know, because a fight can a fight can end in like 15 seconds. You know, and you train for like a year for it. So uh, I think uh, just being. Who he is for so long, I mean, obviously, is an accomplishment in and of itself. He's still ranked number three. He was still ranked number three at the time of the fight. You know, he's probably dropped down now, but still, he's like a top ten guy. And I mean, I rem- I remember being like a young, young, young version of me and watching him. Like, man, he's good. <laughs> you know, that was like more than like fifteen years ago. So, uh, <laughs> Father Time is undefeated, man. Yeah, Father Time. I was thinking uh, going into this podcast that uh, the the altitude is also undefeated. Yeah, <laughs> the altitude the altitude is definitely a winner, <laughs> the winner of this whole uh, night. But uh, I wanted to say about this one, I, I never, I didn't see it as Aldo uh, getting old. I saw it more as the style matchup. I mean, you know, Habib said going into the Gaethje fight, he said, you know, it's it Gaethje has these low kicks. Uh, uh, you know, I don't like them. But it's hard to do low kicks against someone who's constantly moving forward and trying to get their hands on you because, you know, you 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 may land the low kick or you may miss the low kick. But that time that you were spent on one leg, 
uh, is time that that person is making up a space getting closer to you to get their hands on you. And so, um, you know, that knowing that that was all that uh, Aldo's opponent wanted was to, you know, wrestle him and get him to the cage and, and so on. Um, it was it was I it would it would have been very hard uh, for that to go a, a different way, the way I saw it. I mean, just the way Aldo fights and the way um, the way that Mayrab fights, uh, I think it would have been, yeah, pretty tough for it to go another way. There's, we've seen, you know, with that type of wrestler, I mean, again, Habib being the example, like Habib against Tebow was, looked a lot like this to me. You know, it's not like Habib got Tebow down. Uh, he just kept going and trying to get him and trying to take him down and not, not get, not accomplishing very much. But because he was, he was trying to do it, uh, he won the decision. If you love the Southpaw Project, become one of our financial supporters. It'll help us supplement the cost of running this project, the incredible time and energy we put into it seven days a week, and you'll be giving us some breathing room not only to juggle Southpaw with our day jobs, but also to expand Southpaw into other areas. We can't exist without your contributions. Show your Southpaw solidarity by supporting us at southpawpod.com. Now let's talk a bit about Cyril Gaon versus Tai Tuivasa. Justin, as an MMA fan, is this a fight that interests you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do. It does because it's it's um you know Gan is so uh, technical and he so um you know so movement oriented for someone so big and and Tuivasa is a classic you know classic you know powerhouse. So yeah, I think it does interest me. I would I I I would give it to Gan. I, I suspect Gan is going to win. So I'm always interested in the mindset of the fighters because Gon was right there. The title was his and he made a miscalculation against Ngannou. Like he he mm-hmm. had it. And he, <laughs> what, what 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 miscalculation? I, I didn't see a miscalculation. It was the leg lock at the end. Yeah, he's going oh. for leg locks. It's like, why? Why? I was oh, yelling. I, I was see. I like, see. Por qué? Pourquoi? <laughs> he could have won the decision. He was on top. And then he gave up the top position for a leg lock. I see. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to see how he bounces back from that, because, you know, you never know how someone reacts to adversity until you actually see it. Right. So it's the same with Usman, you know, never been knocked out, never been taken down. And, and, you know, the guy that he had previously beaten has, you know, improved and and, and closed the gap. So with Gan versus uh, Tuivasa, you know, Tuivasa, knockout artist, I think he gets picked apart because I didn't expect him to beat uh, the Black Beast, but you know, it's a heavyweight fight, so everybody has the power to to turn the lights out at any time. Um, so, uh, what I'm really curious to see is if Gon can and it, can he rally back and kind of uh, gather all of that momentum that he had going into the title match with Ngannou to show people like, hey, I'm still that guy. I'm still good enough to be champion because uh, if he if he forgets himself, if he gets discouraged, or if he's not if he's lacking in his preparation, you know, Tuivasa can he can turn him lights out. He's he's shown it in the past several times. So um, obviously, as a as a fight fan, uh, I'm I'm interested to see if uh, for Tuivasa, you know, because he's right there there at the cusp too. Anybody can get it, you know. So um, if he does not allow Gun uh, to be 
extra mobile and, and picking them apart at distance, if he can close that distance and, and, and put and pause on them, then we got ourselves a great matchup. Heavyweight heavyweight fights, uh, you know, basically 205 and above are always, um, at the, they always kind of uh, hurt the humanitarian in me more than <laughs> than than lighter ones because it's like just the, no human being can can stand a punch from someone that big, including someone that big. <laughs> so you know, it's just uh, it's just hard. It's hard in that sense. You know, because they are that much bigger than other people, except their skulls aren't that much thicker. Exactly, exactly. It doesn't scale. the The hitting power <laughs> uh, doesn't. The defensive ability doesn't scale to the hitting power. Yes. Lastly, let's preview Robert Bobby Knuckles Whitaker versus Marvin Vittori. Oh, Maurice, <laughs> how do you see this fight going? It's going to be a war of attrition. I think Vittori is going to try. He's going to try to initiate the clinch, and it's going to be uh, Whitaker's job to to stay mobile and to show his superior striking, um, and then surprise him with his own grappling skills. Because I think um, outside of Adesanya, I, I, you know, Robert he's well rounded, and he's surprised us many times before. You know, I think you know I was one of the people I counted him out against Romero, and then he had he went to war with one of the most feared uh, fighters at that time. He's just maybe a couple of millimeters off of like maybe making um, Izzy, um, you know, a number one contender instead of a champion. You know, there's it was just a game of inches, you know, because Izzy is so long. Vittori does not have that length and he does not have that striking acumen that, that uh, Adesanya has. So I think um, Whitaker takes this decisively in a decision but i've been wrong before so we'll see <laughs> no i'm on the same i'm on the same team i i don't know i don't think it'll be a decision by the way i think whitaker is bad i think there is again i've been wrong often and, and many times but uh but i think whitaker is just like i think the only person he can't beat is Asanya, basically <laughs> and maybe the guy that may beat out Adis- maybe Pereira. we'll see how that goes i am i am scared for adesanya as an adesanya fan uh i do think Pereira can you know that's that is one i'm going to be watching biting my nails but uh but yeah i th- i think i think i think Whit- i think of whitaker as the champion in an alternate timeline where Adesanya is not <laughs> there. Like he, I just yeah, think yeah, he's, yeah. he's the best. It's just, just can't beat Adesanya, which shouldn't even be like, you know, it's not fair to expect someone to be able to beat Adesanya. Uh, I kind of felt that way about Covington, you know, Covington is also uh, excellent. He just couldn't beat, um, uh, Usman, but of course, <laughs> apparently <laughs> Usman is beatable. Were there any other fights from UFC 278? that stood out for either one of you? Yeah, no, we could talk about the Woodson um, Saldana fight. Like, I mean, again, as a coach, I am <laughs> livid. I am, I am beside myself because they were hyping uh, Woodson's boxing up and then, you know, he gets knocked down. And it, <sighs> you had time to think about it. It wasn't like one of those things where, you know, it's a split second, like, oh, like he might have had, hit one foot up like or one knee up and then he's like kind of standing up and he's not clearly on the ground it was like dude he's clearly laying on the ground and then you took like three steps and then you knee him like what are you doing you have to fight (laughs) 
You had to fight. You had it, and you just throw it away. Like I, I don't. He didn't it, even man. run over. He he sort of sauntered over. Yeah, he right? just he, like stomp. He's like, I'm just going stomp on over here, man. I'm just going to put my kneecap right in your nose. Like, hey, what's going on, buddy? Like, what are you doing, man? Like, so, and and the first thing that came to mind, I don't know if anybody's a Simpsons fan out there, but it was um, <laughs> it was that scene where the two brothers they they have a restaurant and. He's like, sometimes I think you just want to fail. Like, I don't know. Like, uh, if he, some people, I don't know. This is some sports psychology 101. I think because he saw the victory right in his hands, maybe he got scared. I don't know. Maybe he got scared of success. Like, some people just are afraid to succeed because they don't know what's going going on <laughs> beyond the horizon. And I feel like that was the case there, man, because it was like, dude, you had to fight. You had it, and you just—he did it twice. He did it twice because earlier he he knocked him down, and then he sort of did a little uh, taunt. Yeah, he's just like, hey, he's playing around, jumping around. Like, come on, dog. Like, you don't like. <laughs> and, and again, I don't know what the relationship the coach has with him, his corners. Like, because again, there's maybe so many other things going on in his life, his personal life that we don't know about. But as a coach, if I had told you. And we have gone over the rules and we've drilled and we've executed. We visualized. I would I, I would probably quit. I would fire myself. If Find I, another coach, right? Yeah, I would fire. Yeah, I'm like, yo, I can't he's, do this because like, he's not listening to you. Because <laughs> you got to draw when you should have like had a KO win. Like, I don't know what to do with you, man. Like, unless you just hate me, that maybe there's something going on. there. I don't know. You hate yourself. You hate me. You hate everybody. I, I can't do it, man. I'm a positive vibes only, dude. I hope that I hope for like if I was if I was Saldana's coach, you know, I would also be like, I hope this draw is a lesson for you. It's actually not a bad um, it's not a bad outcome, in the sense that if if he had gotten an outright loss after doing all that work and you know essentially succeeding in the fighting part of the fight, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it would have been unfair and he would have probably been become bitter if he had won. Um, he wouldn't have thought about his mistakes, but maybe it, th- maybe this is the perfect decision uh, for for growth in the sense that like he should have won, but he didn't because of these stupid things that he did. They both could have won because with Saldana, he first dropped him and then walked away, but not thinking he had a walkaway KO in the replay. Then I realized he just walks away and points to the center of the ring to say, come fight me over here. And it's like, what? He's on the ground. <laughs> His his <laughs> face is on the mat. What do you, you mean? Had me you here? had it. And then he gets up. Woodson gets up, walks over there, gets dropped again, and then he walks away again. <laughs> it's like it's like cool cool guys don't look at explosions, you know. Like I just I, I walk away from my fallen foe. And then he saunters back to your point, and they just <laughs> for the fuck of it, he hits him with a blatant illegal knee, right? So it's like yeah. three. Three just big <laughs> oof moments where you could have won. And then Woodson, actually, if he just said he couldn't continue, he would have won by DQ. So it ends up with a draw. Neither fighter gets a bonus. Woodson's physique was also kind of alarming to me. It's like, this is this is a physique that can only be made from weight cutting. He's fought heavyweight before in boxing. Yeah, he's fought heavyweight, yeah. I mean, what do we think of weight cuts? Uh, what do you think? Is it just we just have to accept it as part of part of life i uh, weight cut <laughs> weight cuts are one of the worst i mean i've done i've had i've been the victim of several bad weight cuts and 
if we could eliminate it, I would be all for it. So like with one FC and some of the other fight leagues here. Um, and then, you know, you have in boxing, sometimes they have the hydration restrictions, Like you can't go like more than 10% of your body weight. Um, you can't lose more than 10% of your body weight in water. Um, that I, I think that would go along. That would go even further in terms of like equalizing or leveling the playing field in terms of performance. Cause you got, you got people like Costa running around, you know, ballooning up. I, I mean, or like a Patty Pimblet, you know, that's, I mean, it's lovable. Or I guess it depends on who's doing it, but I'm like, yo, that's really unhealthy, unhealthy, man. Like what, what you're doing, like the, the yo-yo diet and just going up and down. Um, and you're setting a bad example for other upcoming fighters because, you know, I once thought that, yeah, I just need to drop a little weight so I can have a size advantage. But then when I get in there, after I've dropped like 20 pounds of weight in water, I'm like, holy shit. Like I'm, I'm like stuck in mud, you know? And like, and and like, I'm seeing shadows, you know, in, in broad daylight, like, like in people's (laughs) faces, like, like they, they're infected with like uh, some like biohazard, you know, I, I, I don't know. It was some, some psychedelic thing that was going on when I had one fight and it was just like, okay, this is not healthy. You were dying basically. Yeah. I saw death. I saw the Shinigami. You were dying of dehydration. You were dying of dehydration. It was like, come with us, come to the other side. I'm like, no, I'm not ready yet. It's not my time. So maybe I shouldn't be doing this anymore. You know? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I think on top of checking for hydration, I think they need also more weight divisions because a lot of people are tweeners. They're like between weight divisions. So then those people will be forced to pick. They have to either gain weight or lose weight. Right? So if you had more divisions, and on top of hydration tests, then now you really got something. Now you can really start to prevent this. Because I don't feel like one is really addressing it because there's so many fighters where you see a huge size difference now and you realize, oh, one is somebody who's naturally this weight. The other one is a tweener who had to balloon up to this weight. And that's why they're so small compared to everybody else. So one, you just have the old problem now, which is just huge size differences. What's so my scheme is this. This is what I this is what I think and I I'm sure there's something deeply wrong with it, but what I see is you you come, you know, that whole thing, you walk out, you you know, they they put your they check your gloves, whatever, you climb up the stairs, you go on a scale. <laughs> and that's when you do that's when you weigh in. And if you're 145, <laughs> then you go in and fight. And if you're 146, you turn around and the fight doesn't happen. And that would happen a few times, but after that it would you know, people would get used to it. I think you would have some, you would have some pretty bad canceled uh, events <laughs> at, up front, but, but I, that, that would, you know, then, then you can't get any advantage by bul- that in that 24 hours in between weigh in and fighting. And you still can't preclude like people cheating. Like, I mean, the actual promotion still like cheating or oh, like, yeah. actually saying, Hey, like this happened when it actually didn't happen. You know, so you have to make sure that you have some type of body or some type of collective that keeps the promoters honest. Because, again, you know, Dana White privilege is there, you know, and then you have other organizations. They say, hey, you know, we got our guy, we got our girl or whatever, or a woman. And we'll just say, hey, yeah, they weighed in at a certain weight when they actually didn't. Or we'll just look the other way when they they shoot themselves up with clenbuterol or something like that, you know. Yeah, yeah. Or they could always just do it in another country where they don't have to use the same commissions. Fight Island. Yeah. Fight Island. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Colo- that's col- That's a colonial. <laughs> Rich billionaires having you 
fight on their private island. You know, <laughs> it's uh, James Bond stuff. So you can see why fighters believe in so many conspiracies because, like, this is like the second time billionaires have had fighters fight on their private island because before you had Bodog. So if you got fighters who've had experiences like this, they're like, man, rich people, there's people behind the scenes. They could just do whatever they want. So, of course, just from their experiences with promoters and shadiness, like anything seems possible. But this was a really fun show, really good to talk to both of you. I think we got a lot of good stuff out of this as far as politics and theory, action, plus fight commentary. So thank you both for coming on the show. Justin, do you want to tell listeners where they can find you and your show? Yeah, just Justin Podur, P-O-D-U-R, The Anti-Empire Project. And yeah, come check it out. Thank you. Thank you so much uh, to both of you, especially uh, Sam for hosting. Uh, Maurice, it was great to meet you. But uh, Sam, you know, anytime. I'll, I'll, I love, uh, I love your podcast. I love your work, and I'm, I'm really honored to be part of it today. Thank you, Maurice. Thanks for coming back. Where can people find you? My name is my name, so you can find me on Twitter at Maurice Shelton. Um, I'm on Instagram as well, Maurice L Shelton. Also, you can find me at This Is Not Information Podcast anywhere you can find your podcast. And yeah, like. Um, Justin said, uh, Sam, this is a great experience. Justin, I'm a history buff too. I want to get on your show. So, you know, like, let's do some cross pollination. You know, I'm, I'm looking <laughs> for people to let me talk some shit, you know, about, you know. Well, you know what? You, I understand you uh, on your Twitter. I saw Marcus Garvey, and I am uh, getting to that uh, interwar period sometime. Oh, yeah. This year. Find me in the whirlwind, man. That's, I mean, I, I was, I, put my I picked my pen up or I should say I was typing some stuff I'm like yeah I should write some stuff about Mr. Uh, Mosiah but uh I got distracted with a bunch of other stuff so yeah like maybe we can talk about the whirlwind yeah right on we're making stuff happen on this podcast it's not just a <laughs> MMA podcast it's a mixed Marxist arts podcast as well <laughs> yes yeah, hell yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's what I like that's it for this episode if you like what we do support us on Patreon. We also have the Liberation Martial Arts program if you want to train with us from wherever you are. There's already a lot of techniques, exercises, theory, pedagogy, and even political theory, believe it or not. You can also find that on our Patreon. You can find Southpaw merch at our store. You can find all pertinent links on the show notes. With all that said, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.